Well, welcome back to the Broad Oak Piety Podcast. We are recording once again. I'm looking at my uh, good friend and brother, Joey, through a computer screen. Once again, we are not Getting in used studio. To that by now. Yeah, I know. It's just, you know, it's just par for the course. You wouldn't think that we lived in the same area with how no, we... scarcely we're around one another. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're like 10 minutes down the road, but we're on the computer. Uh, I don't know what that says, but it's right. good to it's good to see you. You know, as part of what we laid out for the listeners at the beginning of this year, we said we wanted to uh, have some other guests with us, a variety of interviews. And actually, Joey, you're bringing someone to us uh, today on the podcast uh, for us to have a discussion with. So let me just ask you, who who is joining us? Maybe introduce uh, our brother here who's joining us today. Yes, absolutely. So we are joined uh, by Jeremy Johnston, who is a uh, has been a brother who has been very kind to me personally. Uh, Jeremy edited uh, my book on depression, The Day of Trouble, and did not laugh as he edited it and made the book more readable. And then, Jeremy, you were uh, you were very kind to give an endorsement of the book as well. And so that's how we that's how we met. Um, yeah. And um, and just through following you on social media. I've learned of your love for Tolkien and you just published a biography on Tolkien, which is a fantastic biography that I've had the opportunity to read. And so I reached out to you and asked if you'd be willing to come on and discuss it. And you graciously accepted the invitation. So thank you for being willing to do that. Oh, well, thanks. Thanks for the invitation. Now it's, it's always great to talk about uh, J.R. Tolkien. Well, I, I think our listeners are probably absolutely uh, floored by the fact that we're talking about Tolkien here on this uh, podcast. Uh, Joey Joey goes in and out of uh, obsess- obsessive discussions. Of, uh, some coherent, some incoherent. That's true. That's true. Yeah. So we're hoping that you can make this coherent <laughs> for us, Jeremy. Um, right. Well, let me ask you this, brother. Thank you for joining us. Uh, it's good to meet you, at least through... Uh, at least through the computer screen. Um, Joey's had an opportunity to read your book and I have not had an opportunity to read your book. And so if you could uh, just give us, give me, but give our listeners, many of whom I'm sure haven't had the opportunity to read the book yet, um, just give us a, a bird's eye view. What is the title of the book? And just give us a summary of what the book is about. Sure. So the book is called J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, Christian Maker of Middle-Earth. Um, it's a biography about Tolkien. Uh, Tolkien is the author of uh, The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, as well as countless other works. Um, he was also a professor of English at Oxford University in England. He is British. Uh, he was born in South Africa, but he uh, grew up in the UK. Um and, uh, and so the, the purpose of this book is to look at his life uh, through his Christian faith. So how, how his Christianity shaped his life, his parenting, um, and m- most significantly, how it shaped and impacted his writing. Um, the Lord of the Rings is so well known, uh, not only because it's, you know, it's a global bestseller selling millions and millions of copies uh, for the last, I don't know, 50 odd years, um, but it's also very popular because of the Peter Jackson films, which uh, garnered billions of dollars in revenue. What did, you, what did you think about those, Jeremy? Just on record. <laughs> You're going to put me on the spot here. <laughs> no, I'm, I, I'm a huge fan of the film. They, uh, Peter Jackson, the director, did an amazing job at bringing to life a text that 
Tolkien himself believed that the, the, his book could not be made into a movie. Um, that's why he actually very cheaply sold the rights to his, his, his book. Um, and uh, I think he's kicking himself now a little bit. Well, he's dead now, but his, his uh, subsequent heirs, I think, were sort of, oh, gee, we could have made you know, millions yeah. of dollars off the film. But, um, but yeah, it's a very difficult book to put on screen. But I feel that Jackson, uh, he pulls it off. He, he does an amazing job. So, yeah. That wasn't the answer that Joey was looking for, actually. Well, listen, <laughs> Thank you. Sorry. sorry. Uh, I mean, obviously, the book is way better than, than the film, but... <laughs> We'll edit. We'll edit that part out. So right, the um, <laughs> so maybe if if you don't mind, give a little bit of your um your background just for the listener that may not be familiar with sure. you. Like what what is it about your background? What is it that um that perhaps led you to want to tackle a biography on Tolkien with all that's out there written about him? And people sure. are very kind of possess- possessive and opinionated. Uh, yes. about you know any anything Tolkien it's a dangerous world to step into or yeah. to wade into for sure um and there has been some pushback uh from various quarters even with this book um there's a lot of people who resist the fact that Tolkien's Christianity I argue in the book and and there are others who argue this as well that his Christianity his faith is central to his writing um, so there is a lot of pushback. You're absolutely right. Um, who, who am I? Let me just say that. I'm so my my main gig, I, I'm a teacher. Um, I'm, a, I'm an adjunct professor, professor at uh, Heritage College and Seminary in Cambridge, Ontario. Um, I'm also an adjunct at uh, Redeemer University here in Ancaster, and I teach uh, high school as well. So I'm kind of teaching yeah. in multiple things. Um, and I've written this is my third book that I've written. My first book that I wrote was on the arts, looking at Christianity, the arts, faith in the arts. Um, and uh, my second book is a book of poetry, and this is now a biography. Um, so what interests me is the intersection of Christian faith and the arts is really what comes through in a lot of my work, and a lot of my writing. Um, I was also an, a columnist on the arts uh, for a Baptist, uh, sort of Reformed Baptist magazine up here in Canada. Uh, I am a Canadian as well, if, if people haven't recognized my, uh, <laughs> my accent. Um, you know, not as, not as beautiful as Joey's, but, uh, but I try. <laughs> Uh, and so, yeah, so, so that's kind of the, the background. And then I'm a longstanding fan of the book. Um, I've reread multiple times The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. I've read it to my kids. I've got four kids, two boys, two, two girls. And I read The Lord of the Rings to my sons. And then I read The Lord of the Rings to my girls. And I read it to myself. Uh, but every, every couple of years, I, I have to actually resist the, the temptation as soon as I finish you know, the return of the King to not pick up the fellowship again, like right away, <laughs> I'm so eager to get into it. So it is probably my, you know, apart from the word of God, of course, which is number one um, most important book to, to continually come back to and reread and study uh, the Lord of the Rings is the book that I return to regularly uh, and have done so for the last 20 years. So um, yeah, so Tolkien has been a big part of my life uh, in terms of his fiction, his writing, Writing. And so it was a, I counted a great privilege to have the opportunity to write this biography. Um, 
you know, your, your question is, um, you know, why did I write it? Uh, it was because my publisher, Chance, Chance Faulkner, he just, he just texted me one day and said, Hey, would you like to write a biography on Tolkien? Man. I'm like, what? <laughs> this is outrageous. So I, I totally accepted. Um, and I, uh, and I'm, it, it was, it's my first biography. I've never written one. Uh, certainly it was a lot harder than I thought. I think Chance gave me, um, he gave me one year. He said, you know, pull this together in one year. And it took me three years uh, to finally uh, to finally get it done uh, because it's a lot, a lot bigger, all the research. And there is so much on Tolkien. Like, there's yeah. so many biographies. There's so many resources. Uh, he wrote so much. So I spent a lot of that time just wading through uh, Tolkien books that I hadn't read, reading multiple biographies. Um, but then I was tasked with the idea of, you know, what's going to be my particular angle mm-hmm. uh, and the sort of twofold angle for this particular book is to write a, you know, uh, less scholarly, more popular, more accessible biography of Tolkien. So people can who aren't familiar with the world of Tolkien, maybe you've watched the movies, you haven't read the books yet. Uh, maybe you read The Hobbit um, and then you can just pick up this book and easily get into the world of, of J.R. Tolkien. That's the first thing. The second uh, purpose of the book is to flesh out and bring out his Christianity. Um, in the world of Tolkien studies, I mean, everyone talks about his faith because he was a man of faith. He was a you know devoted Christian um, who, who spent his life, uh, you know, trying to be uh, the best possible Christian he can be. He was a Roman Catholic, so that, that sometimes people are uh, a bit put off by that. Um, and so me as a Protestant, as a Baptist, as a, as a Reformed guy uh, coming in, writing a Protestant perspective on his life was also much needed. There was a couple Christian biographies, but they were really looking at his Catholicism. Um, I was more looking at his his general Christian worldview and his faith and how that informed it. Um, and so that was kind of the two angles was looking at his Christianity, looking at faith, how it informed his life and work, and then trying to write a, a more accessible, um, you know, popular biography that hopefully anyone can pick up and and be blessed by. I think you accomplished both of those things. I, I found it to be an extremely approachable biography. Um and and I do I noticed as I went through it, it is a Protestant reflection on Tolkien's faith. And and I found that to be immensely helpful because I've read plenty of things about Tolkien and I and I have not seen that definitely not as much as you've been plotting through, but I have not seen that angle. And so it, it is a distinctly Christian a uh, biography on Tolkien examining his Christian faith through the lens of being a Protestant. And I, th- I thought you did that really well. And, and even very respectfully considering Tolkien was a, a Roman Catholic. And so, yeah. um, well, so it's that, great. I'm, I'm glad to hear that brother. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. that's really it, it doesn't surprise me. It took you that long to, uh, <laughs> I think I found out you were writing it maybe about a year ago. Um, yeah. and, uh, I I can't imagine how much you had to wade through to get to the finish line or just get to the place where you were ready to begin to write it. Um, Yeah, that's right. So Jeremy, one of the things that, um, you know, when I first heard of, of Tolkien years ago, it was, 
he's the author who wrote The Hobbit. He wrote Lord of the Rings. Uh, but I also regularly heard he was C.S. Lewis's friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I've I've spent probably more time in my life diving into C.S. Lewis C.S. Lewis's story, his his faith, uh, and uh, you know those kinds of things. So it intrigues me. I guess a question is, you know, you deal in this book, from what I understand, with the theme of uh, companionship, maybe the theme of friendship. Um, what was the significance of friendship? For Tolkien, and I don't mean to limit it to just Lewis necessarily, but you know that 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 comes to mind every time I hear it's like this. Okay, these two guys, and there were others, of course. But um, how did his friendship or his understanding of friendship shape his writings? Yeah, well, um, you know, Tolkien at a very young age, um, he lost both his father and his mother, Mm. Uh, and it was just just him and his brother. they were on their own uh, orphans and sort of were cared for by a variety of people. It ended up, he ended up getting a guardian, um, a friend of the family, a guy named Francis Morgan, uh, who was actually a, uh, a priest at the oratory sort of took, took the boys under his wing. And um, Tolkien spoke so highly of Francis um, for years after calling him basically his second father um, and so dear and and he was so generous with his time Uh, but the idea of the Tolkien was essentially alone he was fairly isolated and I think he really looked to friendship as a means to build companionship to be um, you know part of enriching his life and so while he was at school he was at a like as a young boy he was at a school uh, a grammar school they call it in the UK it was sort of an upper crust um um, like a private school, independent school sort of thing. And he sort of around him had these young friends. There was four of them that were, or or three of them that were the core friends. And they called themselves the TCBS, which stood for uh, uh, Tea Club Barovian Society. And there's a whole tongue-in-cheek reasoning for for this name for themselves. But these these four boys would get together regularly. And because they're English, they would have tea together, uh, which doesn't sound very manly these days. But, uh, (laughs) you know, you just imagine going to a coffee shop and, and getting some java or some black coffee or something so he'd be sitting around with his friends and they would spur each other on to be creators one of the boys was a poet the other boy was an artist and the other boy was a um uh what was he a composer and then tolkien of course was a writer of mythology and a poet as well and they would spur each other on to sort of be creative and they had a very christian worldview so he was tolkien was the only catholic the other boys were, were protestant and one of the boys actually, uh, we I would consider it, you know an evangelical Protestant, um, and they would often discuss theological matters, and they saw their creativity and artfulness as a means to to transform the world. Um, and so already at that early stage, I think Tolkien developed this deep relationship and and being encouraged to create. Uh, with friendship, you know, spur each other on to be iron sharpening iron, as it were, and to perfect the craft. Um, unfortunately, the the boys, their dreams and passions, just be, just as they entered university, uh, World War One broke out, and uh, all four boys went to war, Tolkien included. Uh, tragically, two of them were killed. Um, 
the the one boy was killed at the Battle of Somme, which is the bloodiest battle in British military history, uh, and then another boy was killed by shrapnel. And uh, and so Tolkien lost these friends, um, you know, with with the war. When Tolkien returned from the war, he survived, thankfully, by the grace of God. And he went to Oxford, finished his his uh, his schooling, became a professor there. Eventually, um, that's when he ran into or met for the first time C.S. Lewis. Um, and at first, uh, they didn't like each other at all. Uh, there's a there's a record in C.S. Lewis's journal where he says. Uh, I met Tolkien. He's a he's a great chap. He he needs a slap or two, but uh, I think we'll get on well or something of that nature. I, I'm kind of misquoting it, but uh, were you were you reading were you reading out of uh, Lewis's journal or my journal regarding Joey? I, I'm trying to. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jeremy. Keep keep going. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So uh, so anyways, uh, but w what's interesting, what we don't often or we often forget is that. At the time, when Lewis met Tolkien for the first time, Lewis was an atheist. Uh, he did not believe in, in God at all. He was a, a determined, ardent atheist. He had made that decision. Um, but they did get along well. Tolkien and Lewis, they both had an interest in mythology, particularly Norse mythology. Uh, and slowly they grew together as friends. They would spend time together. Uh, and Tolkien began sharing some of his creative work, his writings um, with C.S. Lewis. Um, and, uh, you know, eventually that circle grew a bit broader, uh, and you might be familiar with the Inklings. This is that sort of writing group that, that Lewis and Tolkien became a part of and established in Oxford. They would meet at various pubs or sometimes they would meet in each other's, uh, rooms. The professors had multiple rooms, you know, sitting rooms and things like that. Um, so, you know, in the process of that friendship, it's, Tolkien, who, along with another one of the Inklings, Tolkien, who essentially uh, convinced or, or helped Lewis realize that there is a God, in fact, pushed him towards not only theism, but ultimately to become a, a Christian. And so that, that, um, that sort of almost ironic way that Tolkien was the one who led, led Lewis to Christ, and then Lewis went on to become this uh, well-known um, apologist and Christian writer. Um, and, and then once they both became Christians, uh, or once, once Lewis became a Christian alongside uh, Tolkien, they continued to spur each other on and help them. In fact, Tolkien uh, says that um, if it wasn't for C.S. Lewis, he would not have finished writing The Lord of the Rings. Uh, it was a 15-year, I think a 13-year process, something like that, where, where Tolkien was writing and writing. And it's C.S. Lewis who kept encouraging, kept encouraging, yeah. kept encouraging, and in, in many ways influencing. Um, Lewis claims that he didn't influence Tolkien at all, but, but I would argue that, that Lewis did influence. And part of the influence is um, C.S. Lewis's own Protestant theology did work its way in, I think, to, to the Lord of the Rings. So um, anyways, so let's kind of circle back to his writing. Um, his life is so profoundly connected with friendship. Friendships was so important to him. Um, and then you see that in, in the literature. You see that in, in The Lord of the Rings and his other writing where uh, people helping each other, people encouraging each other, people making mistakes and forgiving each other. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where we see one of the Christian themes. You know, Christianity is not a maverick 
faith. It's not, you know, I'm on my own doing my thing. Um, and if you read the Lord of the Rings, you can see we've all these great heroes, but they can't do it alone. Uh, and to me, that's a profound almost a metaphor for the church that as Christians, you know, we need different people with different gifts to accomplish what God is calling us to do. Um, and, uh, and so you see that all throughout the Lord of the Rings, you see that in the Hobbit, uh, you see that throughout um, Tolkien's other writings as well, the importance of friendship, the importance of companionship um, to spur each other on um, to, to great deeds. Um, yeah. That's great. I, that kind of leads us into another question. I mean, I, we're, we're talking about uh, a, a writer of some of the, perhaps some of the best fiction that's been produced in recent history. <laughs> uh, how, how can fiction, you know, maybe there's somebody listening <clears throat> and, and they think, you know, I, I'm going to, I'll read nonfiction because I see, how practical that can be for my life, perhaps. What, what would you say to the individual that kind of shuns fiction? How can fiction actually enrich our faith? Oh, wow. That's a, that's a fantastic question. Um, this is something that I've been, I mentioned uh, early on in the beginning there that I, I, for 10 years, I wrote a, a column on the arts, Christianity and the arts uh, for, for a Baptist magazine. And then um my first book, All Things New, is is all about Christianity and the arts. Um, it is a great question. I think Christians, we have limited time on earth, um, and we need to ask ourselves, um, how should we spend our time? And is this profitable? I think that's a good question to ask. Um, but I think oftentimes we kind of dismiss fiction, uh, you, you know, out of hand, and uh, because we we see it as is not very practical and not very useful. Um, and so to answer that question in a concise way, without turning this into, you know, part 48 podcast uh, on, <laughs> on Christianity and the arts. Uh, so I'll try to restrain myself. But um, just a couple of things that come to the top of my mind. Um, most obviously, so I've been a Christian for uh, over 30 years, and but I've also been a lover of literature. So, so God has wired me in this way, and I'm a teacher of literature. That's my main gig. Um, and so what I see is that you're as you read fiction, uh, it actually enables you, it equips you that to, to read the word of God effectively. The word of God is not fiction, but the word of God does have, um, you know, almost 40% of the Bible is in, is in narrative form. Narrative is just story. It's in story form. Um, and uh, large swath uh, of the Bible uh, is po poetry. It's poetic. Um, and only a small portion of the word of God is, in fact, sort of your sermon or discourse or legal language. Um, I know it doesn't feel that way when you're reading Leviticus. That's that's where I am right now in my 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 yearly reading of the Bible. I've been I've been those, all these laws. I think, yeah. where's the narrative bit? But it's interesting is that people complain about Leviticus because there is actually some narrative in there, too. But um so much of it is legal language and we struggle with it. I mean, that's when people fall off their Bible reading plan is when they hit the non-narrative part. Yeah. It's because we're actually drawn to story. Um, we're drawn to that kind of, in fact, that's how we identify ourselves. I mean, if I were to ask you, who are you? Tell me about yourself. You would give me a little story. You would identify mm -hmm. yourself as, a, as a, through a story. And of course, God reveals himself to us through story. Mm -hmm. um, he himself is the great uh, author. And of course, Tolkien would also say this. T you know, Tolkien often talks about his work as a sub-creator 
um, you know, God's the creator. He's the great capital A author. He's the great capital A artist. Um, and he made us in his image to be storytellers and to be creative. Um, and so even by telling good stories and being creative and being artful, we are uh, reflecting our God, who is the creative one, who mm. essentially created the whole universe um, as a as a beautiful work of art, but it has no purpose. I mean, th there's a, there's doctrine called the aseity of God, which means he doesn't need anything, which he, he didn't need the universe to be made. It's literally a work of art. It's a painting on God's wall, if I could say it that way. That's the universe. That's who we are. Um, and then, of course, God himself incarnates and enters the story um, as Jesus Christ. And, and so, you know, as we get all this, so... so with knowing that God is a creator, God's the great storyteller, uh, that reading fiction actually helps us read the scriptures better. Um, you know, let me give you an example. Um, you know, the disciples, when when Jesus is saying, you know, beware the leaven of the Pharisees, you know, the disciples are like, oh, the Pharisees are serving bread? Where, where's the bread? <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and, and what Jesus is doing there, he's speaking metaphorically. And metaphor is, is, is a poetic device. It's poetry. And, and so we don't want to be like the disciples misreading the scriptures, taking what should be taken metaphorically as literal. Uh, the same way, you know, the danger of taking literal statements as metaphorical. I mean, that's also a problem that we see, um, you know, you know, um, liberalism tends to take literal and make it metaphorical. Uh, but then legalism or, you know, extreme fundamentalism tends to take metaphorical and make it literal. Mm. And I feel that, you know, one corrective to that would be teaching us, exposing ourselves to storytelling. Um, you know, and I, one of the courses I teach at, at the seminary is a communication course. And I have my students, um, they write their own testimony and they've got five minutes to tell their testimony and they use various rhetorical devices, but essentially they're telling the story of what God has done in their lives. And, you know, the students who, who read widely, who read fiction tend to be able to, to, to tell their testimony in a more effective and better way because they've, uh, they're immersed in the tools of the trade. They're immersed in the beauty of artful language, um, and uh, and it's more persuasive. It's more engaging. Um, you know, you think of a, you know, uh, I've got I've got a great great preacher at my church, and uh, I, I know you're 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 a great preacher too. And there's great preachers out there, but you know, and, and when I'm preaching, and I could just see sometimes the, the congregation, their eyes are glazing over, and and what engages them is you kind of break into a story. You, you use an anecdote to try to illustrate these truths. Um, you know, story shows rather than tells, and so you as as, as a pastor or preachers can become better at helping illustrate biblical truths and apply biblical truths uh, through story. And you can improve that skill uh, by reading stories. Um, and um, boy, and, you know, whether it's a, a Christian author or a, or a non-Christian author, um, if it's last, the if, if, if it's, if it stood the test of time, as it were, that human beings have for centuries, sometimes millennia, uh, have read this story or valued this story because it resonates with them, it resonates, it rings true for them, um, then therefore we can actually learn truth. Truth is truth no matter where it's found. It, it's God's truth. If it's true, it's true. So it doesn't have to be, it can come from, you know, an, a pagan writer like the, the Odyssey or the Iliad by Homer is 
does contain truth mm -hmm. because it's authentic to the human experience, whether Shakespeare was a Christian or not. Um, but he presents reality, God's reality as it is. And because of that, there's actual truth there. Um, and because it comes in story form, in fiction form, um, it, it just resonates with us. It, it sinks deep into our hearts and minds. So, um, you know, I encourage Christians to be readers of fiction. You have to be selective, right? Not everything, you know, I've heard it say that uh, it doesn't matter what you read as long as you're reading. And that, that's not true at all. <laughs> it does matter. <laughs> you have to read good stuff. And, um, you know, th there are tons of lists of classics and great books out there. And, um, you know, you know, guys like you saying, read Lord of the Rings. I mean, all that is good stuff. So yeah. listen to these recommendations and avail yourself of these great books because it, it will impact your life for, for the better. It's helpful, Jeremy. You know, I think in my own, my own experience, you know, both Joey and I've spent a decent amount of time uh, counseling others. And even from my boyhood stories, fiction, uh, just prepared in me a desire to, um, uh, well, well, I won't say a desire, just the, the, it enlarges your mind to the experience of others. You know, both of our kids, my kids, Joey's kids, they go to the same school. It's a, it's a Christian school where there's a primacy placed on reading good books, you know, the great, the great books, the great story. And, and one of the things that I can see in my own kids, you know, 11th grade all the way down to uh, fourth grade now in that curriculum is th their minds have been enlarged because of the great amount of fiction that they've read. And I've actually, I think I've told Joey this before. I read a decent amount of fiction in school, but then given my own bent, I spent a lot more time college, graduate school reading nonfiction. And it's it's just now that I have a, you know, a little bit of a different pace of life now that, you know, picking back up fiction again is something that, you know, is is, is on my mind. Um, so that, that's helpful to kind of think through that. Now, as you spent some time diving into nonfiction, namely the life of Tolkien, what did you learn about him? You know, you, you, you know, a lot of times we think people who, who write books, they're the experts, but actually experts become experts because they spend a lot of time studying and researching. So what did you learn as you wrote a biography on, on Tolkien? Yeah. Wow. Um, I, I did learn a lot. Uh, I mean, I have read a number of biographies over the years, um, but it's not until you actually start trying to uh, piece together a life for your own book um, and try to pick out what are the key elements, what are the sort of watershed moments in a person's life. Um, and um, what I what I learned, I learned a great deal about Tolkien as a father and Tolkien as a husband. That was really, really valuable. I, I, I try to talk about it in the book, but there's only so much. I also had a word limit. My, my publisher said, you know, you can only have so many. I think it was 45,000. Uh, I think it ended up being 65,000, which is still short uh, for, for books. So it's still so you're so you're you're. Uh, uh, listeners don't need to be afraid that it's a big massive tome. Uh, it's it's very it's very accessible, but it was about twenty thousand over. So even then, you, you know, I was kind of giving updates to my publisher where I was at, and they were like, oh, "You're getting you're getting up there." So, um, but that's something that I wish I would talk more about in the book. Uh, I do touch on it, uh, but seeing him as a father, how devoted he was. He was a very busy guy. He was involved with all sorts of, um, you know, jobs as a professor. Plus, he was trying to write this book on the side. 
Um, but he did, in fact, invest a great deal of time into his family. It was very important to him to raise his kids well, to engage with them. And many of the stories he ended up publishing were they started out as stories that he just told to his kids, um, including The Hobbit. The Hobbit was a story that he began telling to his kids and um, he eventually wrote it down and, and uh, you know, shaped it up and edited it and it became The, the Hobbit. Um, and so I think that's that's an important piece of the puzzle to see him as a father uh, investing in his kids' lives and to see that uh, so much of what he did, his creative imagination, really fueled that that beautiful relationship. He was also important. He wanted his kids to be um, connected to to the faith. And uh, there was moments in his life where he felt he had dropped the ball there and um he was an avid letter writer, so his 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 letters have been published, uh, many of them. There's still a bunch of stuff that is yet to be published, but um, in those letters, you see him as a father, you know, as a father to adult kids, uh, which is nice to see as well. Oftentimes, we think of parenting through the lens of raising kids or little kids, but uh, as a parent yeah. of, of adults, it, it continues, and so you know, reading letters by Tolkien to his adult sons, uh, particularly when they were at war. So so in the Second World War, uh, Tolkien by that point was too old to actually serve. Um, but his sons then were of age to serve in World War II. And um, his one son, Michael, uh, he won a bunch of medals and was nearly killed in, in, in battle. His other son, I think he was part of the R, uh, RAF, the Royal Air Force. Uh, and... Um, so, so writing letters encouraging his his sons uh, about the faith and, and trusting the province of God and um, yeah it's beautiful stuff. So, so that was neat to sort of see you know Tolkien didn't stop being a dad just because his kids became adults um, and maybe that resonated with me. My I've got uh, I've as I said I've got four kids and um, three of them now are are adults. Uh, one of them's married the another one's getting married this spring and uh and so i've started to try to change gears i still have one at home she's a teenager uh we we homeschool our kids um but uh yeah it's just it's upon me right I, i'm not sure how old your kids are but it's gonna come right where they're adults and they have to make adult decisions and uh and you become more of a gandalf like advisor at that point you know when they're little kids like it's bedtime go to bed <laughs> uh, but when they become adults you you're kind of coming alongside them uh, and you do this as a teen with teenagers as well, but you're kind of like Gandalf. If you can think of Gandalf and Frodo, you know, let the ring bearer decide, <laughs> you know, that kind of, you know, helping them, helping them, but you can't tell them what to do at that point. Um, and so that's encouraging to read Lord of the Rings as well um, in, in, in that light. Um, so, and of course the other piece, uh, as I mentioned, was Tolkien as a, as a husband um, because he grew up as an orphan, um, and he was raised by a, you know, bachelor guardian. Um, he didn't have a lot of exposure about marriage, um, what that all entails. And his wife as well was an orphan. Uh, she had lost both her mother and father at a young age. In fact, that's how they met. They were staring, they were staying together at a boarding school, uh, or sorry, not a boarding school, a, a boarding house. And, um, she was uh edith was was living downstairs and they got to know each other and they started dating and they had to move to separate obviously separate separate dwellings uh they couldn't be dating in the same house but uh, they were two orphans and so when they got married um 
they really had to figure out marriage from scratch. And that was interesting to see as they grow. Um, and Tolkien was very involved as a professor by that point um, and had a lot of things going on academically, writing papers, um, involved with all these friendship times, you know, time with the Inklings and whatever. And he had to realize that his wife needed outlets. His wife needed encouragement and she had different gifts. She was more... Um, she was not an academic. Uh, she uh, was more more simple, not, not simple minded, but just a simple life. She loved gardening. She loved tea. She loved, uh, you know, reading and to see their love blossom as Tolkien, this great mind. And he's a great academic, great intellect, learning to love and appreciate what uh, what his wife brings to the table and and Edith learning to support and encourage her husband with his writing. I mean, she didn't quite fully get all this mythology stuff and languages, um, but she encouraged, she encouraged her husband to persevere. And, um, and so that was a beautiful thing to see their relationship grow, um, which required sacrifice on both their parts and showing love and appreciation. So that was a surprise to me. I had, I had forgotten that, or I, I hadn't noticed that when I had read biographies you know, previously. Um, so that was something I learned about Tolkien um, that I really appreciated and really applied and, and tried to bring out some of that uh, in the book as well. It's excellent. You got, do you have, you guys have time for one more question? Oh yeah. Okay. So <clears throat> one of the things again, that I think makes your book unique and we, we were talking about this earlier on in the conversation was just, I mean, you, you wrote a, you wrote a distinctly Christian work, a Christian biography about Tolkien. Um, but Tolkien as a writer, and particularly as it related to The Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings trilogy, um, and I would say especially as it's been, uh, perhaps as it's reached a broader audience through the movies, there's the show, The Ring of Powers as well. There is this debate as to whether or not um, his works were... Christian works, or if it if it's appropriate to think of them that way. And one of the things that you bring out in the biography is that he kind of um, thought about uh, it, at least the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings trilogy as is happening within. Uh, uh, I, I can't exactly remember how um, it's phrased, but within the gaps. Um, I think I have it jotted down here. He thought about his myths as being placed in the gaps of the scripture timeline. And so I, I just thought maybe that would uh, be of interest just to our listeners. Can you speak to that for a few minutes? Yeah. I mean, this it's, I think that's part of the pushback. Why people say it's not Christian at all, or what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. um, but Tolkien himself said multiple times, you know, this is a Christian work uh, and he intentionally wrote it to be such. Um, and again, you have to qualify, you know, uh, you know, what makes a Christian work a Christian work, you mm -hmm. know, a Christian who makes art or art about Christian themes or um, explicitly about Christian themes. But Tolkien really wanted to, to write a, a mythology about the real world. And when Tolkien talks about the real world, he means God's world. He means the world that God created, which includes the fall, you know, Adam and Eve. Um, that the the incident in the garden happens before the Lord of the Rings in terms of a timeline of history. Um, and of course, you know, redemption occurs after the Lord of the Rings. And it's this it's this interim area here where we have this sort of almost an Old Testament like yeah. account um, 
And, and of course, um, you, you know, those those Christians who go back and they read through the Old Testament, we can't help but see Jesus everywhere. You know, Jesus is everywhere in the Old Testament, even especially in Leviticus. I keep talking about Leviticus. It's there, right? It's it's in there. Uh, Jesus keeps popping up, but he's not explicitly there. He's just alluded to. He's hinted at. Um, and that's kind of what Tolkien was trying to do with with his text is have, you know, the actual world that God created and god is there as providence so it's definitely when you read the books it's very yeah. clear that there's providence at work yeah. that god has a hand in what's going on he's just not named exclusively as god people don't know him but he's doing things in history and um i think what people get and again i've i've got some pushback about my book as well um but people you know non-christians push back and and when they say when i say it's a christian work what they're thinking is um, they're, th- they're, they're thinking that I'm arguing that it's like John Bunyan's Pilgrim. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's not an allegory. Um, Gandalf is not a one-to-one equaling yeah. Christ or Aragorn is not a one-to-one equaling Christ, but it's, it's a hinting at, it's the way Joshua hints at Christ. It's Joshua isn't Jesus, but Joshua points to Jesus. Moses isn't Jesus, but he points to Jesus. It's that kind of thinking. Uh, David is not Jesus, but he points to, um, and, and in fact, that idea idea that old testament idea that um since eve i mean eve has been waiting for the seed that would crush the serpent's head right this and and when she gets pregnant and it's cain she actually thinks and you know in genesis i just read this recently uh, she actually thinks that okay a cain's gonna be the one you you know he's gonna be the one to save us um and of course he isn't he he's the murderer of his he's a you know commits fratricide he kills his own brother and um and then all these heroes come along you know uh noah oh he's gonna save the day oh abraham he's gonna moses you know joseph um and you keep going jacob you keep going through um and david comes along solomon the wisest he's gonna save the day um and of course the, the the answer is it's jesus it's jesus only he's the messiah he's the one that we're yearning for and no one else can do that which is why these characters in middle earth we come back to tolkien's uh sort of mythology um gandalf he he isn't able to save middle earth you know frodo on his mission um not to spoil the book if you haven't read it but frodo frodo fails in his mission he fails and that's intentional that's tolkien saying frodo cannot be the messiah of middle earth frodo cannot be the savior of the world it's jesus or nothing um and and so it we have to look at lord of the rings in the sense that tolkien is imbuing it with these christian truths trying to point us to christ as the true savior um and and that's what you have to do to help clarify um because again people think it's either they think i'm assuming that it's like john bunyan's pilgrim's progress or it's like c.s lewis's chronicles of narnia yeah which is also different in that text um lewis creates a different world narnia is a different universe it's a different cosmos that the kids from our world who know who need to know jesus in our world the pevensey children they go through the wardrobe into Mm -hmm. this other cosmos and jesus comes to this totally different cosmos in the form of a lion well aslan is jesus in narnia right but that's not at all what tolkien is doing in his book um it's Jesus is coming, uh, but he just hasn't come yet, uh, is really what, what the Lord of Rings is all about. Um, 
And then those Good. Christian themes of, of providence and grace and, and the need for redemption, uh, good versus evil, um, you, you know, this long story, this hopeful optimism, um, all the beautiful things, the, the, the moral truths of leadership and honor. I mean, all these biblical characters and qualities come through very powerfully in the text. But all of that is intended to point towards Jesus um, when he comes. Excellent. Excellent. Well, brother, thank you for that. Thank you for, um, thank you for writing the book. Um, I, I, I hope that, uh, some of our listeners pick it up and perhaps some that haven't even read the Lord of the Rings trilogy and, and that'll get them pointed in the right direction yeah. <clears throat> for those interested. I mean, how, how can they, um, how can they find you? Where can they get the book? The book came out officially in December, I think. Right. Um, so, um, yeah, you can order the book um, through my publisher. Uh, maybe you can you have a link or something. Uh, Hesed and I'll Emmett. put it in the show notes. Yeah. yeah. Um, you could also find it uh, if you're in the States. Uh, if someone's ordering the book in the, in, in the U.S., Amazon.com has it uh, for about 20 bucks, which isn't bad. I think um, – uh, H&E might be about the same price. Uh, for whatever reason, if you're living in Canada, if you have listeners up here in Canada, the price is, I think, $40. I don't, I don't know why everything's more expensive up in Canada. But uh, if you're looking to order the book up here in Canada, definitely go through H&E, um, their, their, their website, because it, that'll, that will be the cheapest um, to, to get a hold of the book. Uh, and of course, you can get The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit uh, at pretty well any bookstore on the planet. So yeah. get a hold of that, uh, that book as well. And your other books as well, have, they're published with H&E too, right? Yep. Yep. Okay. Joshua Press and, and H&E, yeah, which is all part of the same <laughs> umbrella. Yeah. Which can also be, uh, you can get them on Amazon as well as through a, you know, H&E publishing. Yeah. And then if anyone wants to find you online, how would they do that? Um, I've got a website. Um, it is www.jeremywjohnston.ca um, is my website. Uh, and then I've got my Twitter handle is at Gandalf Pirate. And uh, if you just Google my name, Jeremy W. Johnston, uh, a bunch of stuff comes up as well. So um, you can find me in all sorts of locations there. Excellent. Brother, thank you so much for, for that. I, you know, we talked about loving stories. One of the things I love to read is biographies uh, and autobiographies. So uh, our discussion today has convinced me I want to get your book. I know Joey's already read through it. I want to I want to read it. I love I love good stories and I love uh, learning about uh, people in uh of the faith particularly. So this is, this is exciting. Thank you for taking the time uh, to, to interview uh, with us today. Well, thanks for having me. What a treat. Uh, what a treat to spend some time with you guys and, and uh, talk about uh, this, this passion project of mine. So thank you. So well, much. and see, I, th I feel like I'm kind of like the Gandalf character of this particular episode <laughs> because, mm. you know, Joey's got this very Southern hard he's, to understand. He's, you've a got this he's a very humble Gandalf as well. You, isn't he? You've got, you've got yeah. this, you know, Canadian and I'm, I'm just sitting here and I just, you know, I'm able to kind of bring it all together. I'm kind of like the Eagles at the very end of the nice. first movie. You, know? right. you just kind of, just kind of swoop in and make everything happen. You, I'm just kidding. I always think of it like this. You, you, you don't have an accent and I always associate accents with homes. So it's kind of uh, a homeless sort of thing, like no accent, no home, accent, some, home. I see. Yeah. There's some yeah. story themes there. Mm, yeah. <laughs> 
Well, gotcha. thank you, listener, for uh, tuning in to the Broad Oak Piety podcast. And Lord willing, we will be back with you again in the next week or so. Mm-hmm.